0: Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? I'm great, Conrad.
1: Good to hear your voice. Good to be uh, on uh, Grillin' JR today. I want to thank all the folks for joining us and uh, supporting our efforts. We appreciate your business, as they say, and we do. So, uh, all good, man. Life is good. Uh, I'm recording this from, from Oklahoma. Going forward, I'll probably be doing a few more from uh, Jacksonville Beach which is, uh, becoming a nice place to hang my hat. So I'm, um, uh, things are good. You know, AEW's cranking right along and, you know, people are still buzzing about that street fight we had uh, a week or so ago. And which I thought was one of the most amazing performances that I have, uh, I've called in a long, long time. It was just an amazing effort. The courage those dudes have, uh, showed was uh, extraordinary, especially when you consider you know, uh, you and I were talking before we were on the air, you know, these, these dudes, man, were, they were bleeding from places that you don't normally see a pro wrestler bleed right? because of the environment Conrad, you know, these you don't get taught in wrestling school or in the Indies or anywhere else in the world that's got any sense, uh, to, uh, learn to survive in that kind of environment. But I thought those kids did a hell of a job and really impressed me and, uh, kind of over it kind of underscores what the company's about Conrad it's just young guys looking for their break looking to make their create their legacy get over sell merch do the things that they need to do and in, increase their lot in aew and so that the effort is always there for us and uh, you know it's like any other creative process you're not going to get everybody to agree with what you're doing because that's just the nature of the beast we get that but the one thing that I think any fan can say is that, you know, that those guys and gals at AEW are going to give you effort, they're going to give you your money's worth. Not to me. That's worth a lot.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to, uh, what's next on the show, but I'm also looking forward to hearing about your fun trip this weekend. You're going to be with your old pal, Jerry, the King Lawler up in Jackson, Tennessee, I guess this is his 50th anniversary in pro wrestling. What a milestone.
1: Yeah, it is, isn't it? Uh, 50 years of activity. Uh, not just 50 years of passing through cause he still wrestles. As a matter of fact, he's in the main event on, on uh, Saturday night there in Jackson outdoors. I hear they've got a real good advance. Uh, they should have a great crowd. If you're in that neighborhood or in that area, it's probably going to be one of the bigger arrays of name talent, uh, from today and yesteryear that you'll see assembled in, in this coronavirus bullshit. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe anywhere right now outside WWE or AEW or something, it's a, it's a really, it's a star-studded deal. It's kind of like an all-star game. And, uh, but you know, saluting Jerry's uh, commitment to the business. I think he's in a main event, uh, with the rock and roll express and Lawler and the six man, I, I thought it was very strategic booking and, uh, it'll be fun. So, uh, it, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it though. Seeing a lot of old friends, you know, we were talking. You know, at this stage of life, or anybody, and really, no matter what stage of life you're in, when you get an opportunity to go back and reconnect with old friends, old acquaintances, people you work with over the years, uh, it's kind of cool because we don't know what tomorrow brings. So I'm I'm excited about that, and and really privileged that I was invited, and uh, thanks to Tony Khan, uh, he made it happen for me. I was going to go anyway, but you know, he's he's respectful of Jerry and and the and the business in general, so he's paying the freight to get me over there and so i'll stay in memphis a day or two and then end up going to come back to oklahoma for a few days so it's a i'm looking forward to it it's going to be a lot of fun uh, i'm sure we'll take a lot of pictures and things like that but if you get a chance folks if you're in the area uh, check it out it's it's going to be a fun night a lot of autographs a lot of meet and greets things of that nature a gimmick tables will be
0: Prevalent. <laughs> yeah, let me so, let me run yeah. through that. It's this Saturday, September twenty-sixth, at the ballpark at Jackson, Tennessee. There's a 7 30 PM bell time. You can get your tickets there or you can call ahead at 731-234-5883. And it's a who's who, man. Obviously, it's all about the king, but the Rock and Roll Express will be there. Dory Funk Jr., uh, Bill Dundee, Lex Luger, D Brown, Jimmy Hart, Kane, Barry Wyndham, Coco Beware, The Boogeyman. Sergeant Slaughter, Road Warrior Animal, Arn Anderson, Tommy Rich, Scott Steiner, Dr. Tom, Tony Atlas, Bobby Eaton, and a whole lot more. Uh, and it's all about celebrating fifty years with the king. It's this Saturday, September twenty sixth, the ballpark at Jackson, Tennessee, seven thirty PM Bell time. And get your tickets now at seven three one two three four fifty eight eighty
1: three. And of course, as you mentioned, the old standby, uh, to show up and buy a ticket.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: That's pretty easy. Uh, as well, but to get the better seats, I'm assuming, and I'm not sure what the seating situation is going to be, uh, but, uh, you can just, you know, drive, drive in, show up, you'll, you'll get in no doubt about it at the ballpark. So it should be a lot of fun, historic day. And, you know, I think it's safe to say without being too morbid, that it'll be very difficult and challenging for that group of talent to ever be assembled together again, it's yeah. just the odd, odds are it's probably not going to happen.
0: It's also worth mentioning that this is an outdoor facility. It's a baseball park. So you're going to have, uh, some social distancing guidelines being adhered to Wear your mask, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, I'm excited that they're still finding a way to sort of pay homage to one of the all-time greats and, and one of your very best friends.
1: Absolutely. G- great partner. So many stories we have together. Uh, it, baseball park reminds me of the story. I was listening to baseball one time when I was a kid. Uh, the, the, uh, fall staff game of the week uh, broadcast by uh, Pee Wee Reese and Dizzy Dean and Dizzy Dean says, uh, to Wee, man, it's great to see all the fans out here today, beautiful day. And of course there's a honeymoon couple down there on the first baseline. We're told, and, and, uh, they're just having a great time and they're just loving each other. And, uh, you know, uh, he's kissing her on the strikes and she's kissing him on the balls. Ha 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 ha.
0: <laughs> right on
1: national TV, baby! Oh my so goodness! It is. Yeah, it was good. Good stuff. Oh. I remember that. That's I was probably in grade school. I still remember it. What it's funny I? how you remember all the the, the the shit that you shouldn't remember, and you can't remember the 18th president or something. You know. So it's funny uh, you say uh,
0: that because I grew up in in Gunnersville, Alabama, and there was a, a small radio station, our only station there in Gunnersville, and uh, my buddy's grandfather. Was one of the voiceover announcers and he was reading a commercial for our general store. And, uh, I think at the time it was called hammers and, uh, he said, uh, and this weekend only hammers has women's panties, 50% off and still coming down. And I don't know why, (laughs) It just tickled me that still coming down. So check it out. Yeah. We're excited to be here with you today on grill and Jr. We're getting 20 years in our wayback machine today, Jim, for unforgiven 2000. And, uh, gosh, what a big time this was in professional wrestling. Certainly for the WWF September 24th, 2000 first union center, Philadelphia, man. Was there ever a better wrestling town than Philadelphia? I mean, this is a raucous crowd. Anytime you guys are in there.
1: Yeah. You know, the great thing about these cities like Philadelphia, Chicago, and, and others, we could name St. Louis at times, certainly, uh, but Philly, uh, the, the one thing that made Philly great and still is great is the fact that fans are uninhibited. They are unabashedly, uh, willing to share their opinion, whether they like something or they don't like something. And I know they've got the old reputation there. You know, they booed Santa Claus and all those things. Uh, but you know, this just they're just great and. It, I can't, you know. We say, well, how is the COVID affecting? You know, no crowds affecting uh, these wrestling shows and other events like the NFL. It, it's affecting the hell out of them. Of course, you know. Uh, you know, I don't know. The first night of Sunday night football, the ratings are down thirty percent. There was no crowd there. There was no buzz, uh, and I, it does make a difference. So consequently, the um, the f- crowd in Philly. Always express themselves. They always gave you noise. They always gave us passion and that made it easier to work. Get you, you get jacked up a little bit, get that adrenaline flowing. It's all good stuff. But Philly never, ever disappointed it, in my entire career. I've never been to Philly where the crowd was, uh, you know, anemic. They're just, uh, they're just, they were, they weren't into it. Some shows are better than others. No doubt about it. When we rolled in there with a Monday night raw or a pay-per-view You could always count on the Philadelphia crowd to deliver their share of the passion.
0: Well, this one is going to be no different. They're going to draw 18,092 fans. That's 16,862 paid, and it's a sellout in two freaking hours. You want to talk about how hot the business is you sold out in two hours. Come on on commentary. We would hear that there's 19,316 fans in attendance. This has been something that Bruce Pritchard has loved to beat up over the years, because I think Dave Meltzer has always been a stickler about what the numbers were. And Bruce, I think believes that the total accounting, the big number you guys would announce is the total number of bodies in the arena, which would mean security and ticket takers and performers and riggers and et cetera, et cetera. Um, is there a special way that WWE did the head count? So to speak.
1: You know, not that I'm aware of, uh, it's a little dubious when you count the ticket takers and the ushers and all that stuff to me, uh, you know, the attendance is the fans to me. Now this is my, am not, you know, debating Bruce, but, uh, I wouldn't go with that number. I would go with the number of, of fans that were sitting in the seats. These a vis uh, yeah, all the other ancillary staff members, but, uh, I don't think there's any special number. Look, all here's the deal. We would get a number law or nine, this, I guess in this case. And, and that was the, the number, you know, it wasn't that you have a, you have a conversation off the air. Are you sure that's the number? You know, no, you, you, here's your number and you give the number and you move on. Simple as that. So I'm not sure how that number was ascertained uh, other than what Bruce has said there. I get that, but how they got to that exact number, I don't know. So all I did was, you know, uh, say what they told me, you know, here's the tennis and, and we would give that and and move on. So, but it was, it is an interesting point. It's one of those points where, is it really worth the debate? Right. The goddamn building was full.
0: There you go. I mean, as long as, as you, know, you like to say, there's an ass every 18 inches mission accomplished. That's it. Exactly. Well, this is the third pay-per-view event for unforgiven. Uh, it's the most purchased unforgiven pay-per-view by far with a buy rate of 1.5 That's roughly 605,000 buys. That's a little less than double the year prior and the year after. So what a hugely successful event. This was the gate live is 822,400 dollars, and an incredible number at the merch stand as well, 172 grand and change man. Business was on fire for the company. I mean, we often look at 97 as being sort of a a crucial year for the company 98. You finally start winning the ratings war and making. Buku's of money and selling out everywhere that trend continues for 99. But I think you could argue that 2000 is, is as big as the business has ever been at that point. Right?
1: Yeah. Great numbers. Some powerful numbers. Uh, A lot of folks are making a lot of money. And of course that's the name of the game. That's the name of the game. It's uh, it's not the AAU. It's not amateur hour. So it was, uh, it was very, it was very strong that year. And, you know, and it comes back to the same old thing. We had talents that got over. And, 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 and you can do, you can, do, uh, uh, analyze it and discuss it as much as one chooses to Conrad, but the bottom line is, is that if you don't have people over, you're not going to get those kind of numbers. You're just not. So, uh, uh it was, a, it was a hell of a year for everybody. And we dispersed a lot, our payroll, my payroll that I was paying out, uh, at that point in time was uh, pretty incredible, the numbers and the, uh, you know, I always said, you know, we, we, we bake bigger pies then you'll get a bigger slice. That's it's inevitable. Now I'm sure there'll be some old timers listening to the show, maybe or whatever, well, I didn't get my share as if they had, they'd done a forensic study of the uh, accounting. So they know exactly what they should get to the penny when they don't have a clue. But the bottom line was, is that we had uh, talents that got over and you know, you look at this card, God almighty, it's just, it's pretty damn amazing. Uh, uh the talent that was on that, on that show alone, Conrad was pretty, pretty astonishing to me.
0: It really is uh, a big time show. I watched it this week for the first time in, uh, well, gosh, 20 years. So I was excited to watch it again. We'll get into the show, but first I want to give you a little more context. We're following up SummerSlam 2000, which is available in our archives. Uh, the readers of the wrestling observer gave that show 91.9% thumbs up as a reminder. It was headlined by the rock triple H and Kurt angle. The rock would win that triple threat match, retaining his title tonight on this show, he's going to face even more opponents. He's going to defend the championship in a fatal four-way this time against Kane undertaker and Benoit before we get to the show, let's talk about some news and notes as we head into the event on September 5th, Harley race. Who's 57 at the time was arrested for boating while intoxicated near the Lake of the Ozarks in uh, Missouri. Meltzer would write race was arrested at a sobriety checkpoint and charged with a class B misdemeanor of boating while intoxicated, which has a maximum six months in prison or a $500 fine race was released later that day on $500 bail. Back in 1990 race was involved in a boating accident where his bone boat exploded and two people who were in it, uh, or two people in the boat, it collided with were injured and he was charged with negligent operation of a boat. Of course, now these days, uh, Harley's no longer with us, but he was not, uh, he didn't always get along with these boats, did he?
1: No, he, Harley had a, Harley had a, a tremendous, uh, love of speed, uh, going driving fast, boating fast. Uh, he was a, he was kind of a daredevil. And I think that bled over into how he wrestled, you know, he, he had a, he had a style. You know, he was just a—he uh, uh, loved to the, the drive fast. He loved to boat fast. and Of course, living there on the lake of the Ozarks, uh, you know, he was—that was a was perfect place to play. So uh, he's just lucky that he didn't get, uh, you know, have a, a terrible accident that would cripple him or something, because he would drive that boat like, you know, it was, he was in a race, uh, just that uh, recreationally. That was just Harley. He loved to take the chances and he loved to drive fast. So. Uh, when you hear those stories or that story specifically, it can't be a surprise If anybody that knows Harley knows that's the way he likes to, likes to drive and that's the way he likes to, likes to vote. To
0: Over the September 8th weekend, Jeff Jarrett did an interview with viewers choice, Canada, and Meltzer would report, um, quote said he should have stayed in the WWF if the offer was right. And that Russo leaving for WCW didn't make it a lock. He was following but did so when he felt the offer made by Jim Ross was insulting. He said he was mad at Austin because he took stunners for Austin several times on television. But when it came time for Austin to do his angle with him, Austin wouldn't do the program. A lot to unpack here? Of course, famously, he has uh, quote unquote held you up. Uh, we'll talk about that some more another time. I'm sure, but let's talk about the offer that he felt was insulting in this era. This is sort of, pre-guaranteed contracts, or I mean, I guess we are offering downside guarantees, but this is still one of those deals or certainly in this era where maybe the number on paper is, I don't know, four or five, 600,000, but you're going to meet or exceed that with how hot business is pretty early on. Right.
1: Absolutely. It was an ego thing in my view. Uh, and I think also to, I disagree with Jeff that, you know, he, he was, he could, he would have stayed if he got a fair offer. Well, he got a fair offer. And as you mentioned, Conrad, so astutely, uh, the downside guarantee was a number that you wanted to you wanted to you have if you uh, were, were, didn't expect to outearn your guarantee. In that era, just about everybody that I can think of uh, outearned their guarantee. If you were booked regularly, and you were being used, and you were doing your job, everything was in place. You you far outgained your your downside guarantee. That goes to guys like Jericho and Mysterio, and, you know, hell, even Austin. You know, Austin had a downside guarantee of a million dollars. He was, there was a handful of those guys that had million dollar deals, $19,323 a week, I think it was. But he didn't take his weekly checks. He took what he was earning as he went. And uh, I know one year he made 13000000 million. I'd say that's pretty well blown away your downside. I would think so. so uh, and, you know, <laughs> a lot of guys did. So, uh, you know, I think Jeff had it. Had the his mind made up that with with Russo going to WCW and the fact that Russo was going to be in charge of creative and the fact that Jeff and uh, Vince had a good rapport, uh, they were buddies. Nothing wrong with that. That he had a better chance of being used more higher up on the card. Was he going to make more money uh, based on uh, his guarantee in WCW and uh, versus what he was made staying in WWE? Probably not. At the end of the day, that's just my take on it, but he had a very high opinion of himself, uh, he thought he was a better worker than, than uh, he was being paid for. So, uh, and that's cool. That's his prerogative. I didn't agree with it. More importantly, of course, it's, it's all face to Jr. Uh, cause nobody wants to confront Vince. Right. He didn't want to burn a bridge in case he wanted to come back. And by the way, look where he is. Uh, so Vince didn't Vince established that number. He said, here's what I'm going to pay him. I want you to get the deal done if you can, but this is where we are. Okay. When your boss tells you that Conrad, what do you do? What would you do?
0: Well, I don't know. I mean,
1: wouldn't you follow your boss's orders?
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a no brainer, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, of course it is. Again, the, the, the the thing that we had going for us was the fact that you're going to, the money's rolling in, you're going to do well. And you're going to blow away these downside guarantees. There have been precedent for year after year. Talent's doing that. So consequently, uh, you know, you, you got to trust in the system and trust in yourself that you're going to stay healthy, and you're going to stay active, and you're going to stay productive. So uh, that's kind of where that was. You know, I so I, I thought that was a, we were. I was kind of in a jackpot there to the start with, uh, from the standpoint that you know Russo had left kind of abruptly. Uh, and, and, and took a really, I'm sure a very good deal from WCW at the time, which is fine. You know, hell he's got to provide for his family too. But I think, you know, it's just one of those deals where wrestlers sometimes make excuses. They can't take responsibility more often than not. They don't want to look in the mirror more often than not. It seems like, and, uh, but for Jeff Jarrett to compare himself, to be on the same level as stone cold, Steve Austin is somewhat ludicrous in my opinion.
0: Well, I mean, I do understand his frustration with, Hey, uh, I thought we were doing an angle together and that's the reason I agreed to do 900 stunners for you, but at the same time, I understand your point of, well, if that's what the boss wants, that's what we're doing.
1: Yeah. And we did whatever we needed to do to, to maintain the bill from stone cold. He was a top guy and obviously Jeff in his own defense. Thought he was a top guy as well. Jeff, a very fundamentally sound, uh, in-ring worker. No doubt. Absolutely. I could not, never take anything away from him in that respect, but he wasn't in stone colds level. And by the way, only a few guys were on stone colds level one rock. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just, it was just one of those excuses, smokescreen type thing, in my opinion, but you know, it seems like at the end of the day, everybody, everything's worked out pretty well. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, everybody's got their spot and everybody's healthy and making a living. And that's all that matters at this point in time in our lives, make a living and enjoy what you're doing. And so, uh, if Jeff's doing that, then I'm happy for him, but for him to compare himself to Austin, I thought was a little bit of a stretch.
0: Let me ask, you know, we don't often talk about money here on the show, but you just sort of casually mentioned that Stone Cold had a 13 million a year. Do you think any wrestler has ever had a better single year than that year? It'd be hard to imagine for me.
1: I I don't I'd have a hard time believing that as well. I'm yeah. with you, Conrad. Uh I'd have a hard time believing that as well. You know, uh, that's all in now. That's merch. Yeah. Uh all the payoffs or the live events. The thing about Austin too is that Austin didn't want to be off. You know, Austin he worked like a he was broke. And so he was always uh booked on on the house shows. And when he he was booked, I knew how to book him. And I knew that he was going to go on last no matter what. And he didn't want to go on last in a tag. That was just him. And so you say, well, how can you cater to one guy like that? Are you shitting me?
0: He drew the house. Are you kidding? Come on. He,
1: He drew the house. He's, he's getting more people to walk up to the merch stands. When they walk up to the merch stand, they they're going to buy a stone cold shirt and look, by the way, they might buy one of yours. So your merchandise monies could, would increase in that respect. Uh, but. He was, uh, you, you, that's like, you know, uh, any great athlete. That's a star of your team. You take care of the stars of your team. sure And uh, it's not a democracy. This is a, this is a, a, this is not a, a a charity. So consequently, whoever's selling the tickets and the merchandise is going to get the better deals and get the better bookings and, and make the most money. That's the incentive to try to be the the top guy. You, You gotta have competition. And, and even though Austin was competing with himself more often than not, you know, when rock was, got hot and, and look, we had other guys too, that were getting good. A lot of guys are coming into their own and, and, uh, and, and, really evolving nicely. So, uh, it was losing Jarrett, for example, was not a great thing for us to have, to have happen, but did it, did it slow us down? Did it, did it affect our productivity? I don't think it did
0: No, it did not. Let's keep it going. Sometime in September, the observer's going to report the lawsuit filed by the WWF against WCW regarding trademark infringement, largely based around Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's original debut in WCW, was settled out of court probably within the past few weeks. There is now no outstanding legal issues between the companies as WCW's lawsuits against the WWF, which was basically a countersuit to the WWF's original suit, was also dropped it's hard to imagine that, you know, all of that maneuvering happens in late May, early June, 1996. And now here we are more than four years later and it's just now being settled. And at this point, Lord, the NWO was not this whole angle. No longer. Is it an issue at all? I mean, they're firmly in the rearview mirror for the WWE.
1: Yeah. And gosh, it just seemed like it lingered and it was always a nuisance. And maybe that's the best way to describe it. A nuisance suit. I don't know, but it was certainly, uh, uh, pain in the ass to have to deal with, um, off and on, off and on. And, you know, it would distract Vince or piss him off or whatever the case may be. And you know, that's never good. (laughs) It's never, that's never good. So I was glad that got resolved because it, it the must, the NWO much like it, it roared in as the lion with a great idea. It, it. It left very meekly. Yes, it did. I think, and I, and I, you know, i It's easy to look back at anybody's booking, mine or anybody else's. But bottom line is that, you know, you, uh, you, you, you just can't. You can't keep adding. It, to me, it got the NWO got diluted.
0: Yep, that's the word.
1: And too many, uh, too many people got in the group that didn't need to be in the group, mm-hmm. and it seemed like it diluted it and it watered it down. As the old expression would go. So. Uh, but thank God it moved on and and uh we, we rock and roll and, and soon thereafter we, there would be a, a different resolve.
0: Let's uh let's talk about something else that is gonna be pretty topical. Earlier in the month, the WWFE, the corporate entity, would release their quarterly financial report from the period of May through July and they registered a record before uh tax profit of twenty four million three hundred and seventy thousand dollars for the quarter. So that's the before tax profit for one quarter, pretty remarkable. Uh, WWF, New York even managed to turn a profit that quarter, which was like 200 grand and Meltzer would report for the quarter the combination of live events, pay-per-view events, television, advertising, and rights fees brought in 75.2 million, an increase of 46% from last year some of which was due to the creation of SmackDown giving the company more ad time on a network to sell each week and another product to sell internationally that figure should increase substantially in the future as its domestic cable rights fees for Raw, Heat, SmackDown and Livewire will increase from 5.5 million annually to 28 million as a result of the bidding war between USA Network and Viacom so this sounds like big money but for context Fox's 2018 five-year agreement to air SmackDown was worth $205 million annually just by itself. Uh, television Thank rights, you. man. It's, it's the new. It's no longer about gate figures, especially in the COVID era. It's all about television rights these days. Right, Jim? sure
1: is. It sure is, Connor. The business has changed in that regard. Smart businessmen changed with it. Uh, that's why when people get criticized WWE for adjusting their costs by lowering overhead, uh, via furloughs, et cetera, that people get upset, you know, cause they're making so much money and so forth and so on, but, uh, you know, everything's got a reason in that regard. And it's a, it's a tough thing that you've got to let some people go, but it's not about, you know, how much we've made, you got to, how much you're going to keep right? And, and can you lower your overhead to, to increase your bottom line for a publicly traded company. So although i hate to see guys lose jobs. And, uh, get, and, and be furloughed or be fired or whatever. Uh, you know, so like recently uh, Jerry Briscoe got, got, uh, relieved of his post, which was not a surprise. Uh, and, and, you know, Jerry had been there for over 30 years. So that's all those things makes, all those things are meaningful, but it's not unexpected. You know, Jerry's 70, 70 plus years old. He's had a tremendous run there. How it was handled may not have been, uh, exactly the, the ideal way. I will say that, according to what Jerry said, that, you know, Vince called him personally and gave him the news, which I respect yeah. for doing that. Didn't have somebody else do it. So I thought that was a a, a great gesture without question. But you know, even though I love Jerry Briscoe, he's like a brother to me. You know, it, it's, it's the inevitability of getting at a certain age and the fact that, you know, uh, Jerry's. Jerry was so instrumental there. And for me as the head of talent relations, uh, we had a lot of real MVPs. Uh, and he was certainly at the, at the at, if not the top of the list, he's at the, he's with everybody else at the, at the top of the, list. whoever else was there. Jerry was there as well. He scouted, he went on the road, he went to all these amateur wrestling tournaments, you know, he, he mentored guys. Uh, he was a great mentor because soft spoken, slow talking. You know, had had a great record as a tag wrestler with his brother Jack. Great as a Booker territory owner. Uh, you know, okay. it hadn't been for Jerry and Jack, Vince would never been able to buy uh, Atlanta. Right. So uh, Jerry had a very distinguished career, and, and I'm assuming that at least my my mind's eye that he's not through. He could do more things for other companies if 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 he chose to. So anyway, uh, I, I regret, regretted it, but you got that, that bottom line is what, is what it is. And when, the game changed Conrad when the company went public, Yeah, there's a lot of advantages to going public, but there's also some disadvantages uh, uh, as well, because it kind of opens up the playbook and says, here, here, here's what we got. Here's where we are. And sometimes people misread those numbers, you know, uh, and they, they look at them uh, erroneously. So nonetheless, uh, uh, it's just the way that it is. And you're right. It's all about the rights fees right now because there's no, there's no sign. There's no telling when we're going to go back on the road, right? You know, I, I I'm expecting AEW to stay there at daily slice and in, in Jacksonville adjacent to the stadium, uh, and, uh, for the TFN uh, and I don't, I wouldn't even want to say, well, we might get back the first of the year. You can say that if you want to, Right. but it, it's empty. It's an empty promise. It's an empty prophecy. It's not, we don't know. Right, because it's a whole, a whole bigger issue with this COVID shit. So uh, anyway, uh, I, I'm with you on that deal. The the rights fees is the name of the game, and I'm glad the AEW got a three year deal from. And uh, the fact that you know here a while back we had a we had another show, we had a million viewers, uh, and that was a milestone. You know we're doing numbers on a on TNT that are very competitive, if not succeeding or exceeding uh, the NBA, and so. I think we're a good company there and I think we're on the best network for us. And, uh, they're very proud of the, of of our productivity thus far. And, you know, our job is to get better every week and try to to, try to continue to build our audience.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about the context of this new TV deal. Unforgiven 2000 was also the night before the company would debut on TNN. Up until mid-September, there was a legal battle brewing that could have prevented the change. USA Network had sought a legal ruling by the Delaware Appellate Court to block WWE programming from moving to Viacom, which would have been both TNN and MTV. And the New York Times even wrote about this, saying that the court case centered on USA's contention that it did not have to match every aspect of a Viacom offer to satisfy a clause in its contract that allowed its deal with the wrestling company to continue as long as it matched any new offer. Specifically USA was arguing. It didn't have to match promises like promotion on radio and billboards and sale to international television channels and an agreement not to preempt the wrestling shows regularly as USA had done with shows like the dog show. And of course the decision comes down from the Delaware Chancery court that finds that USA was obligated to match on all those points. And that's a wrap. So the court's going to rule against USA and USA is going to appeal. Ultimately, we know the result they're on TNN the next day. And, um, the chairman of ICOM even gave a quote. He says, this is a much more important victory for us than most people. know." we would have preferred a different decision, but as we said, the loss of the WWF, or I'm sorry, this, this is a quote from the USA network. We would have preferred a different decision, but as we said, the loss of the WWF will have a negligible effect on our ratings and a positive effect on our profits. So I love that Viacom is high fives all around. This is so important to us. Meanwhile, USA, who not only sued, but then tried to appeal it said, well, we're going to make more money and it won't affect our ratings. We don't give a shit.
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, there you go. That's the old, uh, bottom line, right there. So so how did they really lose? I don't think they really lost in that regard, based on their own interpretation.
0: It's just so funny to me
1: that that, it it was interesting. It was an interesting time for all of us, I can tell you. A lot of uncertainty, a lot of going back and forth. All I knew is Monday night raw is going to be on Monday nights, the network to be determined.
0: The idea that, you know, hey, we're not making money on y'all and you're not helping our ratings, but we're gonna sue to keep you and then try to appeal it when we lose. But we don't really care what you do. It's (laughs) just <laughs> hilarious. We should note uh, before we get into the match here or, or, or the show itself, the show happened on Stephanie's birthday. Uh, we've got Freddie Blassie's voice on the promo that sort of opens the whole pay-per-view package. Um, this is Austin's return from the car attack. That's the major storyline. We're trying to dig in and see who hit Austin with the car, uh, at the end of the prior year. And the event graphics here would be used in the undertaker's Titan Tron for years, like the whole little tribal design behind the, the word logo. So there's a lot of moving parts here. Let's get to the opening match. We've got right to Censor, which is going to be made up of Steven Richards, bull Buchanan, and the good father, along with Val Venus, uh, defeating the acolytes and the Dudley boys in six minutes and four seconds. Meltzer would write good father looks pretty bad early. The match got better when Venus was in finish saw Steven Richards hit his Steven kick on Bubba. He actually missed it, but since it was the finish, that was it. And Venus covered Bubba for the pin Richards with his bad knee never actually tagged in and his only real movement was in delivering the kick for the finish. The team's brawled after the match with all the heels bailing, leaving Richards alone, Bradshaw probably gave Richards, uh, low back problems for life with a stiff kick and bubba then power bombed him through a table three quarters of a star this whole right to censor thing this was not for me and it feels like this was just vince having a little fun but i don't think this really resonated with fans have you ever heard somebody come to you and say oh i sure did love that right to censor stuff has that ever happened not to my knowledge no not
1: to my knowledge and here's the unfortunate part about that situation is All the guys in right to censor were good dudes. Oh yeah. They're, they're all the kind of guys you would want to have in your locker room and on your roster. No problems, no issues on time, professional, all that good stuff. But, uh, it was a, it was a very troublesome to get over uh, scenario. People just didn't have the, I think they were tired of, it reminded them of things in the news. And, and of course it was a shot at the, uh. Uh, that, that organization. yeah, parent teacher bullshit. And sometimes Vince took that a little too far, I think. And yeah, made it personal because of mass, the, the mass appeal audience. I don't think really cared.
0: No, they did and not too
1: bad because that's too bad Connor. Cause those guys could all work. They're all decent hands.
0: Let's talk about the finish here. The kick misses, but it's still the finish. Hmm. Is there in your opinion, a rule of thumb where if you know, this is our planned finish, but if something goes wrong and it misses badly, there's a botch, whatever you want to call it, do you just still go through with it? Or do you feel like you have to call an audible there and come up with something else on the fly? Or do guys even talk about that beforehand that, Hey, here's our plan, a plan, a, but if it don't work, here's our plan. B.
1: I think they normally just go to their instincts when they have a botched finish. Uh, I'm of the mindset that you should uh, go to plan B Yeah, you got to call an audible. Uh, continue continuation of the match and then get your, get yourself a finish because the thing about the finish looking so badly is that's what folks are going to remember. Now, the thing about this particular finish was the fact that, uh, uh, Steven Richards got drilled through a table and that would probably be the last thing. And the main thing that the audience is going to remember a guy took a table. So, uh, but the, I, I, would, I'm of the belief of the mindset. You audibleize and you and you create another finish, and that comes from experienced guys, you know, guys that uh, have the courage to go ahead and take it one step farther, so that you end the match with something that is uh, more uh, acceptable than a, than a miss kick. Just that's just, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I don't say you win on that deal. Well, it was a finish. Well, okay, who gives a shit? Fix it, keep it going, and then work into another spot in 30 seconds or whatever, and, uh, and, 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 take care of your business. So that's my theory on that deal. Never don't to have a match where you, you end the match, even though it was the finish that looked like shit, not that's not a good trade-off.
0: And to your point, the way they're going to sort of leave with this is, is the whole power bomb through the table. And you know, that's what they're going to have the lasting impression with next up, we've got right. something that I kind of forgot even happened. Of course, we've documented this entire feud with Taz and Jerry, the King Lawler. Famously, there was the whole broken glass candy jar and all the silliness that led here. But now we've got the two in a strap match. uh, And not just like, you know, Lawler's got to pull down the strap, but a real old school strap that Taz comes to the ring with. It's kind of weird though, because there's a pinfall or submission option which I always thought the point of the strap match was you're going to drag them around to all four corners. Yeah. Well, why do you think you add this pinfall or submission option? Is it because of who's in it or? Yeah, 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 that's it.
1: It's more, it's more, uh, agreeable. It's more comfortable for the talents that are in it as opposed to working the traditional match. Here's the other thing. It's hard to get your sp- opponent in a compromised position in order to facilitate the four touching of the four turnbuckles, uh, in five minutes, right? it's, it's just hard. So therefore the submission and the pinfall became more applicable. Uh, yeah. you know, I, I, that was a, you know, that obviously that was a personal angle, you know, that was one that, uh, having a joke on me had a joke on Lawler. Uh, even though they wouldn't admit that, uh, and then of course, Taz was, you know, very unsettled. Uh, it's just his nature. You know, he's, he's a, he, he worried about a lot of things. He was very, he's very conscious. And you find that a lot of those guys from ECW had trust issues. And, uh, and Taz was one of them. He wasn't the only one, he, he was one of them. And of course, you know, the line that uh, he said to me was, I thought was uncalled for, you know, here I am trying to heal from a facial paralysis. And, you know, he says something in effect, you know, i slap your face or something. And you know, this, oh, this is what God would, but God already beat me to it or something like that, you know, it was just, it was bullshit and the match was bullshit. So, uh, it was all a personal little thing. And, uh, it's somebody that could have fun.
0: It's worth mentioning that Taz has gone on record as saying he does regret, you know, that whole piece of business poking fun at you. I mean, if he had it to do it over again, that wouldn't have happened, but this is the era where we're in. We're trying to push the envelope and have a little shock value. And well, I think everybody agrees that one was in poor taste.
1: Yeah, I thought so. I thought you know, and of course, it's easy for me to say because it's it's talking about me. I know what my children went through with those those eras and those eras where I had the bells policy issues. Uh, it was a it was a family issue as well. Just didn't think it needed to be. Uh, you know, I love reality based uh, angles. I really do. I think they're the best, but sometimes you, you need to factor in taste and class and that angle had neither.
0: Meltzer would write of the match. It was billed as you had to drag your opponent around and touch all four corners, amazing lack of heat. Both guys exchanged, whipping each other with the straps. It was pretty bad, uh, early as Taz doesn't sell well at all. Lawler delivered three pile drivers in a row. Taz popped up on the first two and then popped up on the third, but collapsed. Pile drivers are unofficially banned, but I guess the mentality is if you don't sell them, they must not be dangerous. After a ref bump, Raven came out and hit Lawler with a DDT and Taz choked Lawler out for the win. Raven got a good pop, but not a great pop. A quarter star. So I guess that's kind of a cool deal to see Raven here, but, uh, I don't know, man, I love both of these performers, but this match just... Did not get going for me.
1: The fans didn't want to see it. Yeah. It's that simple. The fans didn't want to see it. They were as uncomfortable, uh, on a personal level as I was. And they could tell that the hearts of the talents were not in this contest. And, and, and look, they're in Philadelphia. You know, Taz was a God in Philadelphia in ECW Raven was over big time in Philadelphia. Uh, and that's going to, I think why Raven got into the deal. It gave Lawler an out. Uh, so, you know, uh, it it just, nobody wanted to see it. The talent didn't want to see it. The announcers didn't want to see it. It just was not uh, a very, it wasn't a good night at the office uh, up until that point. I was glad that thing went by and I'm thankful it was only five minutes long.
0: Let's get to uh, the next segment here. Stone Cold's going to arrive at the building. Of course, Kevin Kelly can't wait to meet him there and stick a microphone in his face and immediately Austin jacks him up into the garage door. I don't remember seeing a lot of physicality from Kevin Kelly. So I actually rewound this and watched it a few times. Like, wait a minute. Is that really Kevin Kelly taking that bump? Uh, I was kind of proud of Kevin doing a little physicality here. Uh, Michael Cole, of course, is going to join the commentary table to replace the King, at least for a while. You watched this back for the first time in 20 years. Does you remember this Kevin Kelly bump? Cause this stuck out in a major way for me.
1: Not specifically until I saw it again. Then it came back to me. Kevin Kelly has always been a team player. Yeah. You know, he's, he's made a good living, uh, working with new Japan. He does a great job. He and I broadcast one new Japan show for access TV back in the day. Really enjoyed working with Kevin. Uh, Kevin had a, uh, storied, uh, uh, career there at one time he was considered, you know, going to be one of the top announcers on the, in the whole roster. And then all of a sudden for whatever reason. You know, politically he kind of fell out of favor, which is unfortunate because Kevin is a very good announcer and does a great job with his brand now in, uh, in new Japan, working with a variety of partners and not the easiest uh, circumstances to, to do his voiceovers and to do his matches. You know, when you're not at ringside or you're not at, at, li- at a live event, it's very daunting to call everything. Like we're seeing these football games where these guys are broadcasting from remote locations. It loses something Conrad. They're not used to doing voiceovers like we are. right? And if it, it, I think it affects their, uh, uh, their, 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 their calls. So, uh, but Kevin did a good job and he was always willing to do whatever, whatever, what he was asked to do, you know, Kevin's most famous interactions were with the rock. He called him Hermie. I think he called him Hermie. Uh, I guess he, her, her method or something where the hell, but, uh, Kevin became a, a foil of the rock and. And, uh, and did a, a good job and, and rock enjoyed working with him because Kevin sold it. Well, his ego was in check. So Kevin did a good job there, but I didn't remember it until I saw it back. And, but it was, uh, it was interesting to see. And that's just Austin's character. That's what he would do.
0: Let me ask and, when you said, Kevin fell out of favor politically. I mean, really, if we got to drill that down, that's Vince or Kevin Dunn, Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And or are the combination of the two. When both guys, uh, done and McMahon, uh, you, you fall on the wrong side of them. You're done. You're pretty, you're done. You're pretty well done. And, uh, that's kind of what happened to Kevin. I don't know all the specifics. It could just be personality. You know, right. Sometimes Kevin was, uh, maybe a little outspoken, which, you know, nothing abrasive, but you know, if you didn't go along with everything sometimes and even made a, a facial expression that you didn't like it. Uh, sometimes that counted against you and it's not fair, but it's the way of the world in that, in the WWE world at that point in time,
0: it's just so remarkable that it all operates like that. Let's get to the next match. It's a hardcore open invitational, the hardcore champion. Steve Blackman is going to retain his title in 10 minutes versus the European champion, Al snow crash, Holly test, who has Trish Stratus in tow, Funaki, and Perry Saturn, who also has Terry there, uh, the director, accidentally supers Funaki by hitting the WWF.com animation and he leaves it up for a second like he meant to do it and then takes Funaki's name. But there's a fun quote in here that reminds us why you're the voice of wrestling. Jim Ross said, Saturn just gave Trish head and Terry just get and Tess just gave Terry head. The, the the whole head thing is is something that boy I just can't imagine ever happening again. Uh, Meltzer wrote of this match. This was similar to the format of the WrestleMania match, but better since it wasn't played as much for laughs. Saturn worked really hard. He did another tope into a garbage can. Uh, and then one comedy spot was when Saturn got the head and hit Trish Stratus with it. Then test got the head and hit Terry with it to give <laughs> cross a chance to yell about all of that. Uh, crash nearly hurt himself doing a totally messed up hurricane Rana, but shook it off and appeared to be fine. He does a moonsault off the top rope to the floor. This is all in the first four minutes, which Meltzer would say is better than most hardcore matches. The last six minutes, he says, turned into a redundant hardcore match that you've already seen with garbage can lid shots for four minutes, and you're still seeing them. Uh, Crash would pin Blackman at 354 to win the title for the zillionth time. Crash tries to run away, but Saturn hits him with a garbage can lid and gets the title by pin in 406. It starts to slow at this point, except a stretch where Saturn and Blackman were dueling with sticks and Blackman's just killing everyone. He finally pinned Saturn in nine minutes and one second after a cane shot to the head and the last minute of the match saw everyone kicking the hell out of Blackman ending with Blackman, not getting pinned, which he says is a very strange finish since it basically just ended without even near falls among the highlights were snow signing autographs for fans while brawling in the crowd. And test selling when snow hit him with an empty pizza box, a star in <laughs> three quarters, God. this feels like, uh, a little bit of vaudeville comedy routine here. More than wrestling. What'd you think of this one? Watching it back?
1: Well, uh, the thing that sticks out to me is that crash had a six second run as champion. Yes. Uh, and, uh, not auspicious to say the least, it was a match filled with spots. When you don't have a comedy denominator where you don't have false finishes, you don't have a various guys trying to to get the 10, uh, you, you have things like that and it was, uh, the, the match was kind of booked backwards. The, the, all that the good stuff should have been at the end. It wasn't, but that's just, you know, the way it was. It just, it was, it, it was not laid out well, but again, the other issue about that was, is that the hardcore title was never a priority. No. The 24 seven thing, never a priority. Uh, I, I would, I would rather just be somebody else doing something else than be the hardcore champion or the 24 seven champion, unless you're, you know, you're trying out for a comedy, you know, comedy store bit, uh, that didn't, people didn't care, they didn't have the feel for it. So, and, and look, I, these guys were they, they, it was, it was important to these fellows and, and ladies. You know, having Trish out there was important. Terry was out there. That was important as far as the sizzle. But, uh, I thought the matches laid out a little erroneously, but it certainly wasn't because the guys didn't try. It's just, they, they were in an unattendable situation in my view and the title meant nothing.
0: Next up. We've got a skit again, backstage where stone Cold's going to beat up Kurt angle after Kurt gives him an honorary gold medal. He quote, didn't really do anything for. Angle is hilarious in this entire show and all of his interviews backstage for the rest of the night. I think Kurt angle was like the low key MVP of 2000. I know we're going to talk about rock and Austin and undertaker, triple H and on and on and on, but I just think Kurt angle, man, he steals the scenes. He's in left and right here.
1: Kurt came into his own as an entertainer. There was never a doubt, obviously, and you got a a legitimate gold medalist uh, in, in freestyle wrestling for the 96 Olympics, that the guy could wrestle. We all saw that. I remember talking to Dory Jr. Uh, when we brought Kurt in, and Dory and Tom Pritchard, by the way, were both very invaluable to training a lot of guys, including Kurt Angle, uh, and did a great job with him. But Kurt finally got comfortable in his own skin. He got comfortable being an entertainer and not just a shooter, not just a badass, which we all knew he was but he, he became less than one dimensional in that regard. He came became more, I should say more than one dimensional. And I thought that was just amazing. So he acquired the skills of being an entertainer, uh, really rapidly and got, as you said, Conrad, and you're right. He got really, really good at it.
0: Let's get to the next segment. We've got Chris Jericho taking on X-Pac. They're going to go nine minutes and three seconds. Jericho gets the win. They've previously wrestled at unforgiven 99. And even back in WCW Halloween havoc 96, this is the third pay-per-view encounter Meltzer liked it. He gave it three and a half stars. Uh, he says fast paced, really good match. X-Pac used a flip plancha early. He whips Jericho and timekeeper, Mark Eaton. I want to stop right there because Eaton randomly or so it seems was, was cut loose a few years ago. He'd been with the company for what feels like decades. I mean, I know you weren't there at the time, but what in the world, why would you get rid of a guy who's been at ringside and supposedly well-liked and done a great job for you? And I'm bringing this up because most fans don't know it, but they've seen his work. He used to be the guy who would throw the beers to stone cold. Uh, why after decades of service, do you think Vince is like, ah, that's enough.
1: Well, he'd been there so long. He may have out earned his keep. In other words, he may have been getting paid more than they felt like the job warranted. I see. That's that's one theory. Uh, and but as far as anything else, you know, uh, Mark was a Mark was a hell of a hand. I mean he he did he did all kinds of things that people were not even aware of. Like you mentioned, his most uh, public accomplishments were throwing Stone Cold the beers. Yeah. And he did he did a pretty good job of it. And, and Austin, I can remember when, when on eating left. Uh, Steve was not overwhelmed with that deal. Cause he's got to start with a new, new pitcher and, uh, you know, a new thrower. So, uh, but I, I don't know what the re- the reason could not have been work ethic or work habits or, you know, the p- personal conduct or anything like that whatsoever. It just may have been, you know, and sometimes, you know, Vince just gets started looking at people mm. and, and, and it was so Oh, I can't believe JR said that. Well, I'm not knocking Vince. This is, he's not different than a lot of bosses. You make changes and their changes are made for a variety of reasons, but whatever reason it was, I'm I'm assuming it was financial or the salary or what have you, uh, and the fact that they're more departmentalizing things, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it certainly was not because Mark was not a good worker, not a good hand. He certainly was.
0: Let's get back to the match here. Meltzer would right. X-Pac had his working shoes on more than any time in months. Ross was pushing the idea of X-Pac as a singles wrestler. It was obvious who was going over since X-Pac took the first six minutes, including doing the Bronco buster Jericho makes a comeback with a power bomb and even does a Bronco buster himself Jericho kicked out of the X factor, and then he used a power bomb into the walls of Jericho. But X-Pac makes the ropes. X-Pac gets a near fall with a sweet spin kick. Jericho does a face buster followed by a lion salt, but X-Pac gets his knees up. Once again, X-Pac comes off the top, but Jericho catches him, turns him over into the lion tamer, and there's the tap. And after the match, X-Pac would destroy Jericho with nunchucks, three and a half stars. Listen, I know there's uh, there's stuff you could pick apart in every match. I really liked this one. I think both of these are very capable performers. They usually have pretty consistently good matches. This was another example of that to me.
1: Two really talented guys that had good chemistry and were willing to share. Uh, they were very, they were very, uh, uh, professional in their approach, giving this guy some, giving this guy a shine. Uh, The match was pretty logical by and large. Uh, I'm with you. I liked the match a lot. Uh, I don't think that one of my pet peeves is, you know, Jericho gets the win and you know that you're going to go farther with Jericho, at least at, at that point in time than you are with with Sean Waltman and I love Sean Waltman. As my commentary indicated. I wanted I wanted to see him do better. He's a guy that famously asked me about a payoff one time and says, are you fucking paying me by the pound? <laughs> because he was a small guy and uh, no, Sean, we're not. So, uh, uh but he, I, 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 he's Sean Waltman's always been one of my favorite people and, uh, you know, he, Sean's just always been his own worst enemy over the years. He's changed now, thank God. And he's doing well, but. Uh, I, I, don't, I didn't like the numb chuck thing. I, I didn't see any reason to have a winner, have a very competitive match. that could have gone either way where you're touting the guy that's doing the honors. And then at the end you do the, well, let's get some heat back. It's like, what are we just, what are we, why do we do that? Why, why are we doing that? And it's, and that's kind of a trend there sometimes with that company where you, everybody's got to become even again. And that's not how you draw money is get even you draw money by getting people over
0: let's, uh, let's talk about the next segment here. We've got commissioner Foley doing a segment with Kurt angle. Foley's going to announce that he's going to make triple H and Kurt angle. Now a no DQ match. This was really good stuff. Uh, and then we see rock in his dressing room. There's a stare down between him and stone cold and then a handshake to a big pop and then just Joe comes in. His gimmick here is to stir up shit. Austin doesn't even let him finish his thought. Uh, he just says he heard just Joe was a sorry son of a bitch and he whips his ass, (laughs) you got any good stories about just Joe
1: Conrad. I'm going to be very honest with you. I don't remember. As we talk about this today, who just Joe was
0: Joe E. legend.
1: Now I remember he was a guy that was a journeyman, uh, not bad skills but uh, he was a placeholder to get his ass whipped and he, he fulfilled his (laughs) obligations (laughs) and look, but at least you're getting your ass whipped by Austin.
0: Yeah. Hey, there are worse things. Yeah. Um,
1: then we see a Joey legend, a a, a good guy. Uh, and he finally got a little break, but it it was short lived. There were some people that we, that got him in. Uh, I didn't, I hired him, but I didn't find him. Uh, which meant nothing other than, you know, but he came recommended again, solid guy. Uh, again, I use the baseball analogy. He was about a seven or eight hole hitter. He could, he was not going to beat you, but, uh, he's not going to drive you in a lot of runs. He's a solid, uh, utility like player. And, uh, so, but he, he, and that, that night his role was to get his ass wet by stone cold and he fulfilled the obligation.
0: Next up, we've got a tag match. Uh, it's going to be the Hardy boys and edge and Christian. The Hardy boys are going to win the tag titles here in 1333. Uh, Meltzer would say the rules were the first team to get both wrestlers out of the cage wins. It was said that a wrestler out of the cage wasn't allowed back in Jeff climbs the cage and then falls down to the floor just two minutes in. And this leaves Matt against both guys. Uh, he's superplexed off the cage by edge and Christian as he's trying to escape and they keep calling it a 15 foot cage on commentary. Jeff's trying to climb from up on the outside to help, but then takes another bump to the floor. Uh, Meltzer would say, even though Matt juiced and was being beaten on in a two on one cage match, it didn't have the crowd heat you'd expect for a pretty boy, babyface. Vince McMahon at first nixed the idea of doing a blade job in the match all four talked McMahon into it. This is the classic old time stuff to get young girls to scream. And it just doesn't happen nowadays, even though the Hardys definitely have the young girl fans. Eventually Jeff attacks the referee, Jimmy Corderas and grabs a key. He unlocks it. Christian goes out of the cage and lays out. Jeff edge ends up getting the key and putting it down his pants. Edge and Christian miss the sandwich chair shot, which they're calling the concerto. Uh, The fans then start getting into it. When Jeff pulls a ladder from under the ring, Christian falls off the cage, leaving it to edge versus Matt and edge does a bulldog off the top.
1: As Jeff is
0: trying to climb back in, he's on top of the cage and then does a corkscrew moonsault, which for the most part missed both Matt and edge. And they called it a whisper in the wind. And then Lita comes out, gives Christian a low blow and a hurricane Rana outside the ring off the apron, and both take a hard fall to the floor. Meltzer would say that Lita was okay, mainly selling an arm injury. And the match ended with both Hardys and Edge on top of the cage. They give him the concerto, causing Edge to take a bump into the ring, and both Hardys climb to the floor simultaneously for the win three and a half stars. A lot going on in this one. What'd you think?
1: A lot going on in that one, I <laughs> think they, they guys worked their ass off, man. They really did. They were very creative by and large, taking some chances that were risky at best, but, uh, they added to the, it added to the excitement of the match without a doubt. And, uh, you know, it, it was just always, I can't remember calling a, uh, match involving edge and Christian and the Hardys That wasn't at least good. Some more often, not great. Uh, I thought this was a, a really strong match. Uh, they, they put a lot of time in, in preparing for it. They gave, uh, they took a lot of chances, as i mentioned. Uh, but it was just another one of those great rivalries. It's funny too, Conrad, you know, you look at any lot of promotions right now. and You know, these long seated, uh, rivalries don't really exist anymore to any large degree. There's some exceptions to the rule. You know, we had the orange Cassidy. Chris Jericho thing in AEW where, you know, they, they had an issue for several weeks and that's highly unusual now in in pro wrestling, because especially it seems like in WWE, uh, they're of the belief at times, it seems that, uh, fans get bored. Uh, and they, they see something too many times, you know, I, I, I hate this deal where you say, well, they had that match. I've already seen that match. Boy, you would not have made it to territory error. Because that was the nature of the beast there. You had returns and you had an angle and you built it and built it and built it over several weeks or months, maybe even a year, until you had your blow off. It's not that way anymore because the assumption is, is that wrestling fans today only want sensationalism, they only want spots, they only want uh, big, risky moves, and, and they won't tolerate seeing something more than once uh, willingly. And so I, 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 that's missing in the wrestling business, I think right now. So, but those guys always, they always delivered, man. And they were always willing. Here's another thing, Conrad, they were always willing to, and and change things up. Right. They added, they added new wrinkles all the time. So it was, it was always good chemistry and it goes back to the same thing we talked about, we've talked about before here on grill and JR is that, that, uh, you know, talents have to be unselfish and willing to cooperate with their adversary and Edge and Christian and and Jeff and Matt throwing the Dudleys in there. Those guys all seem to always uh, be fair and want to accentuate the other guy. If you put somebody over big time and you're selling them big time and they beat you, then then you've been beaten by somebody. Uh, and I think that's. That those guys had confidence in their abilities to do that. And today it's does either, it's either the confidence is not there. You don't feel the passion or the guys are just not given a, a chance to tell a long arcing story. So long arcs in today's pro wrestling is becoming less and less uh, a thing.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about the next segment here. We got Stephanie having a little chat with stone cold, Steve Austin. She's going to say, oh my gosh, you look great. And. I'm so glad you're back. I've been waiting for you to come back because I saved something that I wanted to give you. This is from the night you were hit by the car. This is the hat you were wearing. And Steve is very annoyed by this and says, Oh, I got my, I don't know who hit me with the car, but at least I got my damn hat back. I guess I can go home now. Uh, he's furious, (laughs) but it's a great segment. Triple H and then Foley have a segment. That's sort of fun because they both acknowledge their history together and I think triple H says, you know, of course I beat you every time. And Foley says, well, most times I got a few wins and it was sort of fun. I don't think Meltzer really liked it. And then we get a video of the uh, China Eddie thing and how we've gotten here. Eddie keeps losing his temper and screaming at her and then apologizing. It's essentially an abusive relationship angle. And, uh, at some point, Eddie and China get engaged during a breakup. And we should note that her playboy is coming out the next week. So they're going to keep her in a prime spot here. Uh, the match itself is Eddie Guerrero with China in his corner, taking on Rikishi. Eddie's going to get the win by DQ in six minutes and three seconds. Meltzer would write Guerrero wanted to leave, but China wouldn't let him and threw him back in the ring. Rikishi sets up the stink face, but China saves Guerrero. China then argues with Rikishi, distracting him. So Guerrero could do a plancha outside the ring. Guerrero misses a a frog splash. And Rikishi squashes him with the huge ass. He badly misses a diamond cutter, but does deliver the Samoan drop and a bonsai. And then China stops the referee Jack Doan from counting. And Meltzer says all of this had no heat. Rikishi then threw China into the ring, shoved her down, gives her a kick. And China stops the ref from counting a sure pin. But Rikishi gets DQ'd for kicking a participant who had no business in the ring in the first place, which doesn't make any sense. And then Rikishi gives China the bonsai. And nobody could figure out is this Rikishi turning heel or not? The crowd is sort of confused by this. And hell, I think the referee might be. Why would Eddie not be DQ'd? Either way, quarter star, what'd you think of this match and the creative? It was a little weird for me.
1: Yeah, it, uh, it uh, underachieved. This match underachieved based on the amount of talent that was involved in it. Uh, at least that's my take uh too convoluted, convoluted uh you know it just amazes me that we can't uh and especially in today's marketplace that that decision makers and creative uh, people can't come up with finishes without having to resort to the old disqualification or the count out or whatever in, in a different era in a different period of time uh that that was more uh that was more uh, you know, accepted. Today it's not. There's so much information out there. Fans know what's going on. They read the internet, they listen to uh, you know, the Podfathers Empire podcast. They all these things are there's the information flow. Education and, and knowledge is floating around out there for a wrestling fan to enjoy if they choose to. So the effect of a uh, a disqualification finish has lost its luster by and large they, they can still get look they can still be done they just should not be done very often and i'm talking in a major match maybe once or twice a year not once or twice a show so i think the decision makers have got to be more creative and come up with finishes and talents have got to be able to realize your match quality and your the the, the lasting memory of that match is lessened when you don't have a finish. And I don't call a DQ or a count out a finish. I call it lazy. And uh but the talents over the years, well, man, you're gonna beat me? You're gonna beat me? Okay, yeah, we're gonna beat you. So what's your point? Well, it's gonna kill me. So you're saying that one loss is gonna kill you. So we haven't done a very good job of getting you ready. You haven't done a very good job of getting yourself ready, or is it just fucking ego? I say it's ego. And, uh, it's, it's trying to mix old school in today's new school and the, the savior ass finish or the, the same deal we talked about earlier. You, one guy goes over, he gets a one, two, three, and then he gets a shit beat out of, uh, unless it's going to another story, you got another stopover with the same two people or same team, or whatever it may be. Uh, wh- who did it help? We you didn't take, you didn't, nobody took a step forward. We stayed in neutral. We stayed in Geneva, Switzerland, neutral, and, and th- it doesn't work for me.
0: Let's, uh, let's talk about Rikishi for a minute in, in your opinion did you guys already know that you're going with Rikishi was the guy who was the driver. And that's the reason for this sort of uh, attack and, and physicality with China.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but still you could have done something more aggressive, something else that would have accentuated his, uh, pending character move a lot more. Uh, but we didn't, it was just the old, well, this is the easy way of doing it. Somebody wanted some agent want to get back to catering, and get dessert. You know, that's where that fucking thing went. So, yeah. And, and I always thought this too, you know, to me, and I, maybe this is my opinion, Connie, I thought Rikishi was at his most valuable best when he was a baby face and was dancing.
0: Uh, absolutely. That's what I was going to get to. I just don't, like, don't get me wrong. I understand that sometimes in wrestling, things are done because, oh, they'll never see it coming. They, they won't be able to call it. It's a swerve, bro, or whatever. I get all that. But, man, it's it's hard to really put into context because I realize sometimes people just look at it and say, oh, it's a comedy act. But being in the arena when Too Cool was doing their thing, those guys were huge. They were huge with fans, white hot, and had to be big merch sellers and they just got gigantic reactions. And it's hard for me to imagine that you think that a heel version of the same guy could be quite the same. And we know that ultimately it wouldn't be that way, but I just can't help, but wonder what other ideas could have been considered instead of Rikishi being the driver.
1: Yeah. The audience liked seeing, uh, they, they smiled. They liked seeing
0: a big boy uh, too dance.
1: cool. They, they enjoyed it. Yeah. It was a feel good moment. You could always depend on that feel good moment, notwithstanding the fact that all three guys are really good hands and they had chemistry together. Uh, and you know, too cool, never got a really a, a serious break. You know, they didn't have a long run, the tag champions or anything like that. You know, but I, I always believe that Rikishi was, was, uh, so perfect in that role. Uh, and he could dance and he had good rhythm and he was a big man moving around and it was just fun to watch. And but sometimes changes are made for the sake of change, and that's the worst thing can happen in, in pro wrestling booking. Let's change for the sake of change. Well, how about this? How about we have a real reason for change, a l- reason that is tangible and people can relate to? But that doesn't happen all the time, it's, it happens less and less. Just change for change's sake. Well, we got to make some changes. Well, let's make him a heel and let's turn him babyface. And okay, but what? What's the backstory? What's the reasoning behind it? And today's wrestling fan. Very, they're very articulate in a lot of, a lot of ways. They're very knowledgeable. So if you're going to change things, you're going to change jerseys. At least tell me why you got traded. Tell me why you're no longer wearing this color and you're wearing this color instead of showing up and it's, it's loosely, uh, formatted. It's loosely created. Just makes no sense to me. It reeks of laziness. Uh, and uh, and I might be wrong on that deal, but I, uh, to me, it's just illogical. So we we would both agree, too cool was the way to go with Rikishi and company, not the heel route.
0: Next up, we've got an interview with the Undertaker as the American badass, and it's of note here that he's dipping tobacco in the interview. Not that big of a deal, I'm sure, but it is seemingly out of character for him. But this is part of his American badass persona. Next we see Kurt angle offering a shoulder to cry on, uh, or being offered a shoulder to cry on rather by Trish. And, uh, he's going to run out of the room because it gives him an idea. <laughs> Next up, we've got the triple H match with Kurt angle. Triple H has Stephanie. Of course, they're going to go 17 minutes and 26 seconds of a non DQ match. Foley's the referee. Of course, triple H gets the win. I guess this is a heel versus heel match. And Triple H has uh, insinuated here that Kurt Angle might be gay. And uh, Kurt Angle has a budding friendship with Stephanie that certainly has a flirtatious undertone. Triple H's ribs are going to be taped from Kurt Angle attacking him with a sledgehammer and then forcefully kissing Stephanie. Meltzer kind of dug it. He gave it three and a quarter stars. Angle starts out working on the ribs. And, uh, they get some big pops early and there's even some chance for Foley when he shoves down Kurt angle. what do you think of this one? This has been, uh, I don't know. A lot of folks look back at this and think that there was more meat on the bone with this angle, but triple H allegedly put the brakes on it. You saw it for the first time in a long time. Uh, what'd you think of the match, and, and what'd you think of some of the stuff that we saw in there? Angle missing the moonsault, some near perfect belly to belly suplexes, a one-armed pedigree, uh, of course, a low blow—the dreaded low blow—and then the pedigree gets it done. Uh, three and three-quarter stars for Meltzer. What say, Jim?
1: I uh, think that match holds up very well today. Uh, you know, I I really have always enjoyed the chemistry between uh, Triple H and Kurt. And Stephanie, it added, without a doubt, added to the presentation as well. Uh, you know, I, I, the, I, I liked it. I liked the match. I liked the their chemistry. You know, it's easy to pick on triple H because he's married the boss's daughter, uh, you know, a lot of the, the more insider fans, you know, have that, that animosity against, uh, Paul the which is not really fair. Uh, but bottom line is. You know, those guys just worked their ass off. They told a great story and you, and what you talked about in the very beginning of, the, of your, uh, review of this is that there's a comedy nominator. Triple H has got bad ribs. Yep. That's your, bo- that's your story. You could go back to that. They had a story. They had a, they had the old bottom line. They had a comedy nominator. They could always refer back to, and the announcers could refer back to it as well. So, uh, I, I, I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh. What, what, how many stars did Melcher give it? Three?
0: Yeah. Three and a three, quarter.
1: Three. Yeah. I don't, I don't think, I think that's fair. I thought it was a very good match, you know, and, but those guys always had really good chemistry. And the other thing about this is, is that angle is such a world-class athlete. And the reason I bring that up, that's not a revelation is the fact that triple H always stayed step for step with a gold medalist in the rest in the pro wrestling ring. So for guys to say, well, Triple H is not that good an athlete, et cetera, et cetera, I, I beg to differ. Uh and he had great chemistry with, with Kurt and also showed because I would suggest to you that Triple H did the majority of laying out the match. So, you know, Kurt still had his moments. He still had some great things. They missed something, missed it big, something big and significant. So I I, I like their chemistry and I like the match. Uh, I might have given it four stars to the, you know I'm going to give a little bit more than than Dave did, but that's splitting hairs.
0: Let's uh, let's also talk about the uh, next segment because we've got two cool who we just talked about, except this time it's not with Rikishi, of course, but Scotty Two-Hotty and Grandmaster a are hosting from the WWF New York. And next up, it's Shane McMahon coming out, and he says he's figured out who hit Steve Austin with the car. And he's got footage to prove it. And he shows videotape of Ken Shamrock being hit by a car in a parking garage. And then Steve Blackman emerges from the car. So he's saying, Hey, it's clearly Steve Blackman. And of course your partner, Jerry Lawler is putting it over big. That's better than DNA proof Jim, which is great. (laughs) Of course, Blackman comes out. He's clearly upset at Shane and his circumstantial evidence, but then the glass shatters, the crowd explodes. And so do you on commentary. Austin's using his disturbed version of his theme song. He's going to stun Blackman and Shane's going to go nuts celebrating with Austin. And of course, first trouble. Uh, and this is a great segment. Shane gets not one, not two, but three stunners. And of course there's a beer brat beer bash. JR selling it as one of the greatest pops in the history of pro wrestling. And when you hear the crowd and see their response, they're ready for anything Austin does. So, Perhaps if Austin isn't ready to get back in the ring, we can still give him something and this is going to send him home. Happy in this segment. Is it not?
1: Yeah, it sure is. You know, here's what I'm trying to figure out is Meltzer knocking me for selling it too hard and, and, and based on what his opinion, that's gotta be it. Cause there's no, there's no guideline, right? Uh, I sold it like the audience reacted to it, right? And so if that's wrong, then I've been doing a lot of things wrong for many, many years where you don't, you try not to oversell something where it becomes a distraction And Oh God, JR, stop it. I mean, the, the building was shaken. The crowd was on their feet. Uh, it was a organic as organic could be, uh, when that, when that glass broke. So I don't know what days I, I, I didn't, I, what do you think? What do you, what do you think it was getting out there? I, I was, I was over the top or too much or what, what, I don't get it. I don't understand. I thought I was doing my job, apparently at least for his opinion on that particular situation, I might not have been.
0: Yeah. I, um, I thought it was a great segment and it's funny because you and I talked about this show off air before we clicked record today. And, uh, I think you said something like, Hey, what'd you think? And I said, this watched like a Monday night raw. I mean, certainly we've got pay-per-view style matchups but there's so many in-ring promos and behind the scenes skits and, and backstage promos and vignettes that it feels like a Monday night raw without commercials, except nonstop, you know, main event style matches. I get why the company was so successful at this point. We were heavy on story and we're heavy on character development and we're going to put some matches out there. Sure. We could, you know, critique some of the matches and maybe we should have cut that match. And maybe we should have given this one a little more time, but this just felt like a fun watch when I watched it back this week. That's my overall impression before we get to the main event. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. We still would deliver, uh, some meaningful and neat worthy matches, but we did have a lot of backstory, a lot of storytelling, and that was a trend that Vince was going through at that point in time. That really has led to where we, what we see now in WWE. A lot of story and, uh, which is fine. That's, that's their product. That's what they want to do. That's cool. Uh, I think, you know, it, what we're doing in AEW, we're trying to balance that where you still have some backstory and reasons for the matches. But we want to make sure we have match time. If you look at our match time and our television shows on Wednesday nights on TNT, you'll see that we we have significant match time in only a squash match based on time, time restraints. Uh, 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 sporadically. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you Conrad on that deal. It was a different trend. A, we were moving into a different trend. And one of the reasons was because we had some people that were really good on the mic. Austin was good. Rock was good. Taker and his new character did, did, a, did a very nice job. Triple H could cut a promo. Of course, Mick Foley was amazing. Kurt Angle. Oh, we said it about this earlier. Kurt Angle started to come into his own as an entertainer. Meaning that he became a much more proficient, proficient, uh, talker. He, he was a, he was a better vocalist, if you will. So I think that you're playing to your strengths of your roster. And one of the strengths of our roster was not only could many of them work their ass off in four or five star matches or whatever, uh, but they could talk. So, uh, and then, then you get to the situation where maybe we were a little bit heavy on talk and a little bit less on action, or maybe we're a little bit heavy on action, a little bit less on talk. Uh, it's all up to the, the, the ear of the beholder, so to speak. But, uh, I, uh, I, I thought we did, I thought we were, were pretty well. The balance is pretty good. Personally, I would have preferred to have a little bit more wrestling and a little bit less talk, but because the guys are so good at talking and right. it, it helped build their characters and, 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 uh, solidify the foundation of their TV personas, I didn't really have any, any, any major problems with it. If you, but if I was forced to say, what do you like better? The talk or the, or the wrestling? Well, I'm going to say the physicality and the wrestling.
0: Let's get to our main event. And boy, we've got all the big stars here. We've got the undertaker. We've got Kane, We've got the rock and we've got Chris Benoit, who we know is going to be a big player for the company for the next several years. Rock's going to retain 15 minutes and 18 seconds. Uh, watching it back on the network. I do miss the undertaker's, uh, rolling theme that he had here. Um, instead we've got the Jim Johnston theme, the undertaker, according to Meltzer looks like a redheaded Harris twin in his new tank top with all the tattoos. This is directly from the observer rocks reaction paled compared to Austin, but blew away everyone else on the show. Not much heat early. The match was bad early since undertaker seemed to be the focal point. Let's take a pause right there. Why do you think Meltzer? That's such a hard on for undertaker in this era. It doesn't feel like he was complimentary to very much, that he did in this era.
1: Hard to say, it'd be a great question for Dave. Uh, maybe because undertaker was very, uh, uh, non-responsive to any, perhaps any, uh, inquiries to, to talk to Meltzer. I don't see Taker being that guy. Right. And that, I think that probably was taken a little bit offensively. I'm just speculating quite frankly, but I don't know what else, whatever reason it could be. I mean, the guy was, he's fucking Lou Gehrig, man. He's the iron man. Right. Are you kidding me. So you got to look for something and it may be used to be that. It may be the fact that he's, uh, uh, just trying to create a little, uh, buzz because you know, the undertaker, basically I think Conrad, maybe I'm overstating this, but to me, the undertaker is universally accepted by uh, globally. You know, I, I've done a lot of shows uh, in uh, outside the United States, and Undertaker, along with a, like Bret Hart, for example, always had a phenomenal uh, support system uh, abroad, and so did Taker. He was he was hugely over. So for somebody that was that over in a different continent, a different uh, you know different different uh, culture, uh, I don't know how you'd not like the guy plus he was a he was a solid soldier man as solid as there ever was so uh i don't know it's hard to say because Meltzer normally recognizes greatness and without a doubt in my eyes undertaker was was absolutely great and was great for a long long time
0: let's keep going talking about the match here uh there is an early ref bump rock's going to hit a ddt on kane has him covered but of course there's no referee there so the undertaker's going to hit rock with a chair and benoit hits undertaker with a chair And uh referee Earl Hebner counts three, even though Undertaker's legs were way under the ropes in seven oh nine. Benoit was leaving with the belt, which since it was the same thing they did two shows back, looks to be a pattern since the same thing happened again. Foley came out and orders the match be restarted. Let's see. Almost every match on the show has a bad finish, usually with outside interference, and Benoit's very last win on pay-per-view was using the ropes, but this time or, this is the only match Foley is watching. Uh, the second half of the match was really good, largely due to Benoit. He did a rolling German suplex for a near fall and a diving headbutt for a near fall. Rock gets the crossface on Benoit in the middle, but Undertaker saves. Kane chokeslams Undertaker, but Benoit makes the save. Rock then hits Kane with a spine buster, but Benoit blocks him from doing the people's elbow. Undertaker hits the last ride on the rock, but Kane makes the save. And then Benoit hits Undertaker and Kane with chairs, puts the rock in the cross face in the middle of the ring, and he's got the hold on for so long. People were starting to believe it when Undertaker finally made the save. Undertaker choke slams Benoit, but Kane makes the save, and then Rock hits the rock bottom on Benoit. And Undertaker goes to save, but Kane stops him, which I guess makes no sense. Benoit's pinned, that's the match. Rock retains three and a half stars. A lot to unpack here, but what do you think about Dave's, uh, I don't know, attempt to apply a little logic to wrestling here. Why would Foley only restart this match and we've got outside interference and other shenanigans happening all night long, but this is the only one that's on his radar. Uh,
1: continuity glitches, uh, interruptions in service, as you might say, the cable system just, uh, Meltzer raises some very valid points. Uh, and there were holes in the creative and it's one of those scenarios where you hit, you booking so many stars in one match that you want to go out of your way to make sure everybody's got some shine. Everything you just said right there, everybody in that match had a moment or two, yeah. or maybe more. Yeah. So that's, you're seen, you feel obligated and I don't disagree with that quite frankly, but at some point in time. Uh, you've got to settle down and get down the home stretch here and, and get to where you want to be with your finish, which they did eventually with uh, rock and Benoit. Uh, I'm sure Melcher probably would like the match better if Benoit had won. Cause Benoit was one of Melcher's favorite talents. And a lot of us love Benoit. Uh, so, but it's hard to book a four way with four major stars that are on their way up. Uh, and are, are, are up. Our building and be completely fair to everybody. You can't have a 50, 50 match by four. You can get everybody else some shine, everybody, a little bit of love, but at some point in time, you got to fish or cut bait and get to the business at hand on who are we getting over. And on this night, uh, we're getting a rock over.
0: It's a, uh, it's a fun match. There are a couple of things we should note. I don't think you guys at the announce desk could see Taker's foot on the ropes. I think your table was maybe out of position or the camera shot was cropped out. When Benoit did win the title, quote unquote, uh, I guess you could describe the reaction as the crowd goes mild. They were not ready. I don't think anybody in the crowd really believed that the company was gonna go with Benoit here. Would you agree with that?
1: Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, he was not six, three yeah. and which meant shit to me. It didn't mean anything. He was a phenomenal in-ring performer, excluding the last 48 hours of his life. You just look back at his career and, and what he meant to the business, what he meant to a lot of the boys in the locker room, his work ethic, him climbing the ladder at his size and becoming uh, one of the greatest workers in the entire world, uh, the mass appeal audience didn't have the same sentiments that many of us did inside the business. Uh, but you know, the, the bottom line of that day was let's not kill taker and his new gimmick. Right. Uh, let's not, uh, you know, Kane is a very viable player. And, uh, so Benoit was a sacrificial lamb in that respect for right or wrong. That's what it was. But the end of the day, our goal was to get rock over. And so, and to do that, there's gotta be some sacrifice the nature of booking that kind of match.
0: The uh, other thing I want to mention is Benoit absolutely destroyed Kane in the back of the head with a vicious chair shot on the outside and the back arch of the chair hits Kane in the head. I don't think there's any chance that he meant to hit him in the head that had to be meant for the back, but as a result of that shot, Kane's head, man, he's bleeding hard way from the back of the head. That's a dangerous spot to take a chair shot and. Oof, that was tough to watch.
1: Yeah, it was, uh, another one of those deals where, well, let's do this a little bit more, a little bit more. It reminds me of some of these young kids today, taking amazing, uh, flips and flops from the ring or the top of the ring or over the rope, uh, to the floor at some point in time, this, the shit's going to catch up with you. It's just going to, and I'm not prophesizing gloom and doom And this. The inevitable is. You can't land on concrete or land on those little thin mats if they're there or whatever on the outside and expect to come away unscathed every single time. It's impossible. And the more you increase your odds of, of those things happening, the more often or more likely it's going to happen. So, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, with you, they try a little bit more in the spirit of trying to make the match great. Sometimes the talents make bad decisions and, uh, but that's, that's done about every week somewhere. So uh, but I'm with you on that thing. Uh Ben Wall was never a strong consideration by the audience. He he became he got over, but uh he's not over as much. The next guy that was up the ladder would be Kane, and then the next guy was Taker, and the next guy was Rock. That's how it worked. That's how that's the pecking order in that particular match. Just really tough to book and make it uh you can't make it 50, 50. You can't make it I don't know if you can, you might make it 60, 40 on some uh, maybe taker and rock, but you know, it's hard. It's really hard to book that match. So you say, well, why'd you book it? I didn't book it, but nonetheless, if I, 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 I would have taken claim to booking it, but it's still going to be a, a tough road. To hoe. you're sitting in a room with all these guys and you're going over the match. It's hard to be totally objective to every single one. You cannot be equitable to everybody in that environment, it's just impossible to do and for the betterment of the match is what, and that's what everybody is trying to strive for is a great match. You got to sacrifice some things. And, uh, and that's kind of the way this thing worked out. There were a lot of spots, a lot of big moves, you know, I don't, I didn't see the uh, feet on the ropes, but it also could have been a spot where don't, don't let it, don't, don't reveal it.
0: Right, right, right.
1: Don't reveal it. So the fans at home think Ben was won the title. Sure. Oh my God. And then boom, you, here comes Foley. They start to match, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not so sure we were supposed to see the foot under the rope. But, uh, of course, Melcher would not have known that and, uh, or nor a lot of people, so that's, that's the best I can recall in that situation, but very tough match to book without question.
0: Meltzer says for all the criticism, I can't call it a bad show. It was also not nearly as good as the WCW show of the previous week, but the key matches were all good. It just came off more like watching an average raw, but with longer matches, the readers of the observer gave it 36 or I'm sorry, 32.6% thumbs up 31.7% thumbs down and 35.7% rated it in the middle. It's a little weird for me that it seems like it's almost split, you know, into thirds, but I guess technically there were more votes in the middle. What do you think, Jim? Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs in the middle.
1: Uh, I give it a thumbs up. I was two. it a resounding thumbs up? Man, eh, I don't know if it was resounding. Was it the best paper we ever did? No, but I, I, I would give it a thumbs up. I, I there were things on there that in hindsight, all of us could probably say they're listening, they watched it. Uh, that I would probably, or we would probably, not have booked, or given us much time, or more needed more time, or whatever the case may be. It was a scenario too. If you go back and look at that card, how many people are on the card? The number of bodies that got on the pay sheet that night was uh, huge, and that's another issue that sometimes you have a problem with. I used to tell Vince this. You know, he would he want to book uh, like a, uh, a an extra match, like a battle royal, or Something that was multiple people, persons match, I should say. And you know, it's to get everybody on the WrestleMania card. And I, my theory has always been, it's not your right to be on the WrestleMania card, it's not your right that you worked all year and you didn't make a cut that's life. And maybe you work harder, you work smarter, you get better at what you do. And then maybe the next go around, uh, you're, you're on a pay-per-view. They, they use the same theory that they used to use, uh, back when WrestleMania was the, was the big dog. It still is the big dog for WWE, but they have a big dog every, every month or even more, another pay-per-view, another pay-per-view. So the, the reason for putting everybody on the card back in the old day was to get everybody a nice payday, help make their year, blah, blah, blah. That's not the case anymore, but some of the same rules and regulations about booking a lot of people on the card still exist. I just don't believe it's everybody's right to be on the card. Uh, it's not. And, and, and sometimes when you put more bodies on the card, it waters the card down. It makes it, it stops the momentum. It gets a little drudgery because you can hear the audience being non-responsive. They didn't want to see this match. And that takes the air out of the room sometimes. And, uh, I think it's a mistake. So, but I, I give the show a thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it there are things again, I would have booked the Lawler and Taz would not have been on the show. Uh, the, the, uh, uh the TLC, th- not TLC, the, uh, hardcore deal. Eh, I don't know about that one either. So I, I don't know. I just, but I, I still like the show. I like the star power. Uh, there were certain pops in that show. They're still going to be remembered by those that were there. So, uh, I'm, I'm giving it a thumbs up.
0: Let's uh, let's mention the next night. It's the debut of Raw is War on TNN, State College, PA. Surprise, another sellout. Uh, Kane would have a double DQ with Rikishi. Taz would beat Bubba Ray Dudley. There would be a ladder match for the titles where the Hardys would beat Edge and Christian. There's a first blood match with X-Pac beating Chris Jericho. Eddie Guerrero would beat Val Venus for the IC title. For the WWF title, Rock would beat Chris Benoit. And then we would get a tag match rock and triple H over angle and Benoit. A lot of fun stuff going on here. Let's get to Twitter. We asked you guys, if you had a question for Jim about this particular episode, if you've got a question about any of our shows, we're going to be always asking those over on Twitter at Jr. grilling. Uh, so if you have a question for grilling Jr., it's at Jr. grilling on Twitter. Uh, Brian wants to know, Jim, can you share some stories about Glenn Jacobs? I feel like we never hear enough about the big man and his successful career in WWE.
1: Well, one of the things I'm looking forward to most this Saturday night in Jackson, Tennessee, for the Jerry Lawler 50th anniversary celebration is the fact I'll see uh, Glenn Jacobs there, the mayor of Knox County, Tennessee. Uh, I, I, I have never had a bad day with Glenn Jacobs. I think he's a classy high, high, not only high intelligence, but high integrity of human being. Uh, and he really, be, he became Cain. You know, he went through a lot of shit, man, you know, Dr. Yankum, uh, the fake, uh, diesel, uh, all that stuff. And he, and he persevered. Uh, he had confidence in his ability. He was willing to be a team guy and, uh, he, 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 he sailed the rough seas and and came out as a, going to be a hall of fame guy. So, uh, perfect. You couldn't ask for a better locker room guy or team leader. And I know that he's doing, a, he's going to be a great, uh, uh, public official public servant in his home area. And I'm proud of him. He's got a great book out, mayor Kane. He sent me a copy of it. One of the nicest things anybody wrote to me was in that book from him. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him on Saturday night, but. No, no, we'd never had a better class act or a great human being than Glenn Jacobs, uh, any company would be well-served to hire as many people with the character and integrity of a Glenn Jacobs for their team.
0: Well said Adam Leeson wants to know what does Jr. Prefer for a title match one-on-one or a multi-man match like this, or does it matter as long as the story makes sense?
1: Well, you want the story to make sense, no matter who's doing it. But if I have my druthers, uh, I would prefer the one-on-one, the classic one-on-one, you know, two guys standing across the ring. Uh, you got a better story to tell. It's easier for the announcers to call. I believe it's easier to lay out the match with one-on-one as opposed to a multi-person match. I've booked a lot of, uh, multi-person matches when I was booking the live events back in the, in that heyday, because we had the as a dearth of talent, uh, all perceived, uh, and rightfully so to be all, on top, top guys. So you had to kind of get them in the, you want to get them in the main event position where they can make more money. Uh, they're valuable to you. Uh, so we did a lot of that booking, but then it led over into the pay-per-views and TVs a lot as well. Uh, but I, I would prefer a one-on-one match that classic one-on-one match again as i mentioned, the announcers can tell the story better it's more uh uh you know uh, on what the word i'm looking for like you know, is more is it all tied together better it was more it's just a, a better fit for me so i, I the one on one match is my is my that's my my jam how about that Conrad? I'm pretty cool now that's my jam baby <laughs>
0: All right, let's do another question here, Jim. Yeah, I think everybody's really focused on the main event, Instagram a wrestling historian says, why did they make it a fatal four way for the main event? It came off like filler to me. I mean, I think that's sort of what you were saying. You know, if, if we can make it into a story, then that's cool, but it doesn't really feel like a traditional pay-per-view main event. It does just feel like something that's going to advance the story.
1: Yeah, it was uh, spot on what you said. It's more of a, uh, elaborate Monday night raw. Sands the commercials. This would be a, a big time pay per view, and you think back of all those big time pay per views that we as fans have seen. Uh, it more often not. It seemed like it culminated with a one on one match at the end of the night, and uh, so it, it, he, the, this gentleman makes a, a good point. But it, again, when you when you put that much star power in a match. Uh, And you try to lay it out to where it makes some sense, so you can take care of everybody in it. It's it's very daunting. It's very hard to do. So you can say, well, why did you do it? Why was it done? Again, you're trying to accommodate talent and get those talents. I can tell you this: uh, those four guys in that main event made a whole lot more money on that show than they would have made if they were been down the card some. If Kane had wrestled Benoit in the semi main, they would not make as much money as if they made in that last match. So, uh, you want your talents to, to earn as best you could, you know, our business was good, we, you know, as we said on that show, we did over $800,000 gross sold out in two hours. The pay-per-views were, were, were good were viable. So that added to your, your potential, uh, that, that built your pie bigger. So your pie got bigger. You got a bigger slice. Uh, but that's the whole situation. It was a financial issue. It looked the market, and the poster looked good because it had a lot of star power on it, but the practical application of a four man match, uh, and where you we were building and evolving, uh, is, is, is very challenging. So he, he asked a very good question and and that's the best answer I can give you is that it was a, it was a, it was a stop along the journey.
0: Couple more questions here, and then we'll wrap this one up. Jeremy says, I feel there was so much more fuel to the Triple H angle story. Do you feel the same or did you think it had run its course?
1: I did not think it ran its course. Uh, you know, but Kurt wasn't the champion and Triple H had the sight set on being the champion. I'm sure Kurt did as well. But whatever the reasons were, uh I would have loved to see more angle and uh, Triple H. I just thought they had great chemistry. Their their matches told good viable stories. The stories were, were were all much more often not logical as logical as you can get in pro wrestling, right? It's still pro wrestling folks. I mean, it's still going to be some eyeball, eye raising. So, uh, but yeah, I, I thought there was some more legs on that, on that horse. It's good. Could have gone. And you know, the the ribs are still in the grill. Let's go eat them.
0: A couple more about that particular thing. We've heard this a lot. Mike wants to know in your opinion. In your opinion, do you believe it's true that Triple H was originally supposed to lose to Kurt here, but refused to do it? And I think the the legendary comment over the years, Jim, and this could all just be rumor in innuendo has been, uh, allegedly what Triple H said in the meeting was, it's not believable that a guy like me would lose his girl to a guy like Kurt.
1: Well, to me, if Triple H made that statement, it's completely out of his, uh, his wheelhouse because it's that, that statement itself is so stupid. Yeah. Triple H is not a stupid guy. No. And, uh, so I don't believe that I'd never heard that, to uh, any uh, authority or anything like that. Uh, you know, that, that match was those guys are so good. Conrad, either guy could have gone over and, and it still would have been a great match. It still would have been a great outcome. Uh, the match itself was going to be outstanding, but, uh, you know, I don't think that, uh, I have a hard time believing that Kurt had great respect by everybody there, and uh, again, he he was he was really coming into his own uh, as that entertaining character, because we already have proven the fact that he's a badass, and uh, that's the thing. Quite frankly, I used to have some issues with Kurt on that, uh, because I thought sometimes he acted too silly, and acted too dumb, dumb jock. You know the little cowboy hats with Austin things of that of that nature. I like the badass. I like the Kurt Angle that there was an Olympic gold medalist that could whip anybody's ass in the building, and uh, and people knew that they understood that. But uh, you know, I I, I could have seen I could have watched Kurt Angle and and Triple H wrestle every week, and it wouldn't bother me a bit because I love their chemistry, and I love the they were true to the business, and they told great stories.
0: What was the um, what was your take on the big reaction that Raven got? And that comes to us from Dermot McCarthy on Twitter. Were you surprised that Raven got such a hero's welcome, or since you're in Philadelphia, the home of ECW, did that just make sense to you?
1: I was disappointed that Taz did get a bigger uh, pop, as they say, uh, than he did. Right. But he was he was positioned as the heel. His heyday in ECW for Taz was as a babyface. He was the closest thing they had to Stone Cold. Uh, at least that's my take on it. But when Raven came out, I was a little su- pleasantly surprised, but not totally because that audience there over the years and years had followed Raven's career. And Scott, he was a very talented guy when he, when he wanted to be talented, he was always talented when he wanted, when he's motivated, I should say when he's motivated, he was, he was a big star there. So I wasn't that overwhelmed with the, or, or surprised with his pop. Uh, it seemed like it came out of nowhere. Oh my God, there's Raven. That well, that kind of deal. So uh it was nice that he got remembered and he got a little pop there and, and uh I, I always thought that we could have done more with uh, Raven. I always thought we could have done more with Scotty. Uh and sometimes it's a matter that some may, there may have been issues there where the office could not get totally comfortable depending on Scotty. And uh if when you when you get to the point where The office doesn't want to, it feels a little uncomfortable trusting you or relying on you totally. Uh, it, it really obviously affects where you're going to go creatively, but I was happy you got the pop and, and it didn't totally surprise me because again, he was a, he was a big star there in Philadelphia for a long time.
0: Interesting little note that I don't think I would have ever noticed, but this is why we do these podcasts. Uh, I don't know that you'll have an answer though. Matt wants to know why did the WWF do away with, uh, hanging rafter banners around this time, they were still there for summer slam, but come unforgiven, there was a new setup for the ring lighting. That is something I don't think I would have noticed, but I do remember seeing them back in the day. Do you remember there being a, a conscious effort to move away from the old school banners, hanging from the rafters that we used to see on traditional WWF shows conscious
1: effort? No, to clean up the look and to continue to evolve the look of the uh, venues. Yes. Uh, And if that included taking the banners down or taking some banners down or whatever, I can see that. I don't think there was a concerted effort. I don't think it was a big, we had a meeting about it type deal. Nothing like that. It was just a matter of continuing to evolve the look, uh, and the brand was going through a lot of change, uh, and a lot of presentational change, things of that nature. So now I don't, it was just time time, you know, same thing with, with, uh, different color skirts on the ring or things of that nature, ring posts, whatever the case may be. All that evolves over time. And uh you know, you I even see now the some some companies the ring posts are square uh, or are they're different. It's just a matter of change and sometimes, unfortunately, change for change's sake. And I think that's the case of there there. Not a not a big deal. It was not a man, let's have a meeting this week. We're gonna talk about oh, we've got to talk about those damn banners. Shit. those Uh, fucking banners are just killing us we got to figure that out so you know nothing like that
0: one last one mill wants to know although stone cold returning was a huge deal do you think it's fair to say that his absence during the year was a great opportunity for the rest of the roster to shine and establish themselves this card featured one hell of a hall of fame roster
1: of course it did of course it did you know uh uh, yeah, it, it's like any other great ball player that, uh, goes on IR is gives whomever takes his place, gives him a great opportunity to, to, to get in the lineup and, and make plays and, and become worth more. I think the rock is a great example of that. Did the rock get over? Of course he did Would the rock have gotten over anyway. Yes. Let's don't, don't mistake that whatsoever, but would he have gotten over with a more of a clear path? Without, with Austin gone. Absolutely. Because the focus then becomes to rock. It's not split. You, you got, you got the, 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 singular focus of this great young star. That's going to end up being one of the greatest attractions and inside and outside the ring and on, on silver screens and televisions. So yeah, it helped everybody. That's always been the goal Conrad. And that was that situation. Uh, that's why, you know, we, we always try I I said this before when I signed talents and recruited talents, you really ideally want to find someone that in your own judgment, in my judgment, in others' judgment, that you know, they could they could be a main event at WrestleMania. And you look at all those guys on that card that you this gentleman just mentioned, you know, God do look how many guys headline WrestleMania's. I mean there are a ton of them. You look at that roster, it's, oh he did, he did, they did, you know. So that yeah, it's that's the situation. When the door opened, you know, this, this, the old, it said the NFL all the time, next man up, next man up. Well, when Austin went down next man up and it was a free for all and a wide open, uh, competition to see who was going to quote unquote, maximize their minutes and get their ass over. And, uh, to me, that's a, a ideal scenario, quite frankly. So, uh, yeah, that's, that was the, that was the name of the game. And, but you got to have guys that are hungry. You got, you know, Hey, there's a lot of guys, Conrad, that don't want to be on top
0: because
1: yeah. they can't handle the pressure. They don't want the responsibility of drawing the houses. They don't want to be going last and go out the, in the arena and look around and see a bunch of empty seats. The, the, some people can't handle that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I, it was, that's what that was real simple that we had a lot of hungry guys or smart, entrepreneurial in spirit, and they knew that the door was open. Let's get it while we can because we know he's coming back. And when he comes back, I want my TV persona to be ready for him.
0: I do think it's worth mentioning too, that, um, and I, maybe, maybe we can debate this absence makes the heart grow fonder, you know, as, as big of a run and as hot and white hot as Austin had been, you often wonder how long that's sustainable and clearly Austin would think that too, which is why he turns heel in 2001 at WrestleMania, but I do wonder you know, he really lengthened his, his, um, his run by stepping away for a little bit. I know that sounds really simplistic, but I'm just trying to say eventually you can only get so high and then it's going to start to taper gradually. But when you have to step away, whether it's by choice or it's really not up to you and you know, you're injured and you're hurt and you got to step away. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. What's that old cliche? How can I, how can I miss you if you never leave type deal? Right.
1: Right, exactly. You know, that's a good point. Uh, you don't want that to happen under those circumstances. But, you know, I've always said that one of the reasons that a lot of guys did not get over to the point uh, that they could have, <coughs> excuse me, is that they were on television every week. Right. Uh, the kiss of death is being on TV every week.
0: Yeah, less is more.
1: Less is more, man. You keep, you stay fresher if you're not overexposed. And uh, But you're right. You need to take a break every now and then. And, and uh, everybody that's done that. Undertaker had some injuries. He came back bigger than big rock goes off to Hollywood, makes a movie or two comes back bigger than big. Triple H tears his quad comes back. gets a uproarious. One of the biggest pops I've ever heard, uh, in Madison square garden. Think of all the illustrations we can give where stars have been injured uh, or whatever the case may be, where they, 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 where they left the, the, the locker room, they left the roster for a certain amount of time. And and when they came back, uh, they, they were, they were again, absence makes the heart go fonder, as you mentioned. And I think that's what we saw there. Uh, just, I don't know, man, I, I I'm a real big believer that, uh, the audience wants to continue to get new, new things, new angles, new storylines. The thing about a guy like Austin is that we've talked about this before in our Steve Austin show, the, for some crazy ass reason. The WWE at that time ran out of opponents for Stone Cold, right? How in the hell can that happen? What, it, what would, what would be your highest priority in booking and, and creating a scenarios, creating scenarios in general, make sure we got plenty of bodies that are hot and the heel factor has got to be in full bore. So in other words, for the heel factor in full bore, you're going to have to beat some, some upper level baby faces. And there's where the politics came in. And so when politics permeate, infiltrate, uh, a booking office, and you're trying to keep everybody happy, uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out very well, you can't make everybody happy. You can, you can treat everybody fair and you can be kind and you can be professional to everybody, but as far as their perception of what fair means, it can never happen.
0: Well, that's going to bring us to a close today. On uh, grill and Jr. That'll wrap up today's unforgiven 2000. We're going to be back your way next week. And I'm pretty excited about this one. It's another profile episode on the mighty Yokozuna. What do you think we'll wind up talking about next week, Jim, when we cover Yoko
1: food, <laughs> Food. Well, the most, uh, the, the, uh, really a Rodney, uh, was, I never saw a super heavyweight. That had his agility and his timing ever, even in the, in the, in the, in spite of his, his ever increasing weight, it was was legitimately a situation where one of the great performers, a WWE champion, uh, a headliner in WrestleManias, a box office attraction internationally, ate himself out of a job and he was such a lovable, wonderful guy. But that, uh, you know, normally you hear guys talking about, well, it's, it's drugs and alcohol or bad marriages or whatever the hell, the normal things that to take you to your knees, this was food, right? So, uh, but, but he was a sweetheart of a guy. And, uh, again, you can't imagine how hard it was to travel, how hard it was to get, you know, what are you going to do when you got you're on you're on an international flight and you got to take a dump. You can't get in the lavatory. Right. So things like that, we don't think about as normal people. Uh, he had to deal with every day. So I I loved Rodney and we'll have some good stories to talk about Rodney. And he has some good programs and, uh, good, good opponents. And, uh, I, I, thought the world of him. So it'll be a fun show. Hey, you know what Conrad? We, I, I probably got more feedback on social media with the, uh, of the Cornette show and the Bobby Heenan show that I've gotten in a long, long time. They seem like those shows between your efforts and, and my stories and my experiences of those dudes really struck a chord and it made me feel good, uh, for different reasons. Bobby's no longer with us. Cornette may not be no longer with us mentally. <laughs> I'm kidding.
0: <laughs> God damn it. He
1: knocked me on the air. Uh, but you know, I thought those shows were, they really, has struck a chord. And I appreciate that. I know you do too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and by the way, we got a lot of feedback because they drop so early over at adfreeshows.com. You can get all of these episodes that we're doing here early and ad free. We've got a special bonus we're going to be doing later this month as well. It's all about Ask JR anything. So it can be any topic. Just let them re up Tater Chip. And you've been doing a lot of that since you've been home. You've been autographing books left and right under the black hat. You've got still got that special going on where, uh, to the lower 48 shipping is included and you'll even personalize it, which is pretty cool. And I hear that man, people are loving the main event mustard. I actually slathered a bunch of ribs this past weekend up with your barbecue sauce, you can get all this stuff over at jrsbbq.com. Isn't that right, Jim?
1: Absolutely. We appreciate everybody's business. It's not just lip service folks. <clears throat> it We make a good product and, uh, it's, and it's gluten-free. Uh, it's, it's as healthy as you can get barbecue sauce. The mustard is in a league of its own. I think our, uh, our seasoning, you know, my, my daughter sent me a picture last night, uh, on, uh, uh on a text where she was making a meatloaf and she used, uh, the seasoning on the meatloaf in the, in the mixture. And then she drenched some, uh, Chipotle ketchup in the meatloaf. And it was, she was raving about it. So. There's a lot of ways to use our products. We, we shift out the orders as fast as we humanly possibly can, uh, right here in Norman. And, uh, we, we do appreciate everybody's business and, you know, give it a try. You know, it's worth an order. See, see if you like it. And you know, if something goes wrong or let us know, we'll make it right for you. It's that simple.
0: We appreciate all your support here. If you haven't already, follow us on Twitter. He is at JR's BBQ. We are at JR Grilling. I am at Hey Hey It's Conrad. And we are also out of time. We'll see you next week right here on Grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Esquire. Heavy on the Mr. too. Exactly. John brings his skewed sense of
1: humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend
0: golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra five to ten. What if I give you fifteen to twenty? <laughs> you can pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend
1: golf guys. The podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B L E A V on YouTube or wherever you listen.